TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR Sports Radio 550. Hush not All right. My Sports Talk Saturday minions, welcome back. It's a Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. Wester Hotline, we're wasting no time here this afternoon. There are so few hours left of daylight when noon when the noon hour hits. We will waste none of them for you and bring in Joe Marino here in the Wester Hotline of Lockdown Bills. Joe, good uh, good afternoon to you, friend, my friend. Happy Saturday. Happy college football Saturday. What a 12 o'clock slate we've got, brother. It, it is. I've got three screens going. Love and, that. Uh, man, it's, it's a lot to consume. Good weekend in college football here. A great weekend in college football. And um, thanks for stopping by. I, I, I want to say thanks because I, I believe there was some collusion happening yesterday on the Food for Thought podcast that you were just happened to be live watching when uh, when Bruce decided to post the screenshot of our uh, – I guess should should that trade take on a nickname? Like we have the catch, we have the drive. Is that like should it just be considered the trade? Like do we do we? I think it has to be dubbed something. It, I think so. I mean, anytime that you give up four first round picks in a dynasty fantasy football league for Tua Tungavailoa, uh, you know, I think that it demands a, a trade. But uh, no, no collusion, Nate. To be honest, the only person I was texting while Food for Thought was on last night was you. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I should have known better. I just, I should, and you know what? And, and I will say this: Bruce has dangled that nugget in front of my face like multiple times after the show. He's like, Nate, if you keep bringing up the Pittman trade, I'm gonna go scorched earth on your ass. And he just, he did. Like he, and and, and credit to Bruce, you really gotta, you really gotta push Bruce past a line yeah. for him to really take action. And it just, it, it had been months of me just, you know, picking off the scab um, for him to finally to strike while the iron was hot. So I almost respect it um, a little bit as much as I'm embarrassed by it. You know. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and look, in, in I know that you kind of fleeced him with the Michael Pittman trade, but in Bruce's defense, I mean, that was kind of the going rate for a wide receiver. I got DJ Moore for a two. The Mike Williams trade was pretty similar for like a two. So, yeah, I mean, you definitely won the deal. But, yeah, man, our, like our league, par. Our, listen, I mean, with, with a dynasty with, with two quarterbacks that can play, um, quarterbacks, ha- quarterbacks and running backs have more value, like, notably more value than wide receivers do in our league. So it just it's what makes it fun. And, uh, hey, fantasy football with your buddies, particularly buddies that know football, that know the draft. Like, Chris Trapasso in our league has more draft capital than, like, any other two teams combined. So it'll be funny to watch that draft guy have a whole bunch of opportunities to uh, to uh, to own it. So it, it'll be fun. But, uh, but listen, you and I have some football to talk. Um, first and foremost, before actually, before we talk football, um, Sunday night, did you, uh, did you and the wife – while Sunday Night Football, while the slaughter was on of the Raiders, did you guys switch over to the Adele concert live? Because that was an unbelievable show. I hope you watched it. Um, no, Jeez. I, I kept watching football. I didn't didn't consume the Adele concert, but I, I'm a fan. I, I like Adele. I, I wish I would have seen it, but I didn't. It's too bad. 
she was amazing. And the the facility was unbelievable. The Griffin, uh, what, what do they call it? The Griffin Amphitheater, not the Amphitheater, but it's observatory. It was beautiful. Um, anyways, uh, I, I'll move on to something more, a little, slightly more beautiful than than song, which is, of course, the, the game of NFL football. Um, this Colts team, Joe, I think that comes in is, is sort of finding its identity, finding itself. I don't know. I, I think if you look at the mass uh, and the collection of the statistics, and let's start on the defensive side before we get into the fun stuff on their offense. On the defensive side of the ball, Joe, this is a unit that has probably struggled more than I think they thought that they would this early in the season. They've got one of the best young linebackers in Darius Leonard in the league, but he's clearly not himself uh, with that ankle injury. The defensive line, though, over the last couple of weeks has started to find itself, and I think they're ranked like 28th in pressure rate, but that's getting better. They were probably in the 30s and have started to move up at uh, you know the, over the last couple of weeks. Could he pay, former first-round pick, like and DeForest Bunkner. Like, what is the task this Bills offensive line, whatever it looks like, which we'll we'll get into here shortly. But like, whatever this offensive line looks like, they're gonna have a tough task today, or I'm sorry, tomorrow against the Colts, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. And obviously, the Bills are undermanned when it comes to having Spencer Brown available at right tackle. But I guess if you're looking for silver lining, I would point to a, a couple of different things. The offensive line that I expect to see uh, on Sunday is going to be in Dawkins, Bakker, Morse, and then Cody Ford at right guard with Darrell Williams at right tackle and Nate. I think there's a lot of people that would have said preseason that that was the best Bills offensive line combination that they could put on the field. Right. And so that's first that's that's first and yeah. foremost. Sec- secondly, um, this team is used to not playing with Spencer Brown this year. I mean, he's been really impactful in the, I think the four games that he's been on the field, but for the most part, he hasn't been on the field. And this is not a scenario that the Bills are, you know, caught off guard by. They've been through this. They, They've evaluated the past opportunities that they've had without Spencer Brown, and you'd like to think that that equips them well to be able to handle it this time around. And then the third thing that I would say is this is pretty much the offensive line that the Bills went to war with mm-hmm. last year against the Colts in the, in, in the, in the playoffs, where the only difference is that you're going to have Cody Ford likely in there instead of John Feliciano, which I'm not sure is that much of a difference, to mm. be honest with you. So. If you're looking for any hope when it comes to this Bills offensive line, it's certainly not going to be the best it can be without Spencer Brown. But I would point to those three things and say, well, if you want to find the optimism, that's what I would cling to. So I, I found it interesting in, in last week's performance that Cole Beasley only ends up playing 15 snaps. Now he's been dealing with a rib injury and you know hearing Sean McDermott after the game talk about just wanting to, quote, get him through the game. I'm sure it was more of an injury-related thing. And how much you want to take from a Jets defense that might be the worst pass defense in the league in maybe the last five or six years? More Gabriel Davis meant... I think better run blocking from the receivers, Joe, but also a maybe a better dedication to the vertical and intermediate passing game. And I don't know that there's a correlation between that the success that they had and how much, for whatever reason, the New York Jets wanted to run one high safety when the when the book is sort of out on how to stop the or slow down these offenses. And there they are still throwing one high safeties out there with the with no help over the top with one of the best receivers in the league. But like, how much are you maybe correlating the game plan to the personnel? And would you expect to see maybe less of Colby's? I said this yesterday, and I and I stand by this, Joe. I think Cole Beasley for how good he is, can almost be a crutch for Josh Allen because he is so good at getting open in the underneath stuff that sometimes Josh maybe in just a de facto way will just go down to to Cole Beasley when other things downfield might be open. It's an interesting point, Nate, not one that I've considered. Um, it's you're, you're making my brain spin with that take. It's interesting. <laughs> um, 
I'll say this, you know, you think about Cole Beasley, we know the impact that he can he can have. I think the Bills are at their best when Cole Beasley's available. But this is a game here where the Colts have probably the best slot corner in the NFL in, in Kenny Moore. And so you, you kind of layer all this together and say, well, you know, what type of, you know, what type of impact can a injured Cole Beasley have uh, against the best slot corner in the NFL? And so maybe you do have uh, more opportunity this week again to work different personnel groupings and you know get guys in different spots and you know, attack a Colts secondary that has a lot of vulnerability. I mean, they don't, they're not down – they're down big time at safety, right? They'd love to have Kari Willis and mm-hmm. Julian Blackman. Those guys are on IR. And uh, they're down to like George Odom and, and Anders, uh, Anderson Deho, and, and those are Oof. those are players that the Bills need to attack, especially when you consider Darius Leonard and him not being fully healthy with that ankle injury. There's going to be opportunities to attack the middle of the field, and so I think you 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 go after this secondary that's allowing a passer rating of 100 to opposing quarterbacks this year. They've given up the most touchdown passes in the NFL, and so if you're Josh Allen, you got to be licking your chops at some of the opportunities to work this secondary, but obviously. I think first and foremost, it goes down to the offensive line being able to do their part to give Josh Allen an opportunity to throw the football. And, and, and if that happens, you know, I feel really good about the Bills being able to be very productive through the air on Sunday. Yeah, and listen, I, I, I think the the thing you get to with this secondary is if you watched, what was it? Was it Thursday Night Football? Did the Colts get a 10-day window here? I think they did, right? Um, well, no, that would have been two weeks ago, so never mind. Um, they end up getting in that game, or well, they, they go up big in that game, and obviously Jonathan Taylor, who we'll, we'll get into in here in just a couple minutes, um, is probably right now, pound for pound, the best running back, best young running back in, in all of football, um, and he's starting to be fed the ball as such. The thing that I noticed in that second half, though, against the Jets, of course they score 45 points and they win, Josh Johnson throws for 300 yards in the second half, essentially, Joe. So it's not like this Colts defense put up a similar performance that the Bills defense did against this Jets team. With a backup, with the backups, backups, backup, they give up 300 yards. And, and, and you talk about, you know, and Sandejo and some of, the, some of the players on the back end there. Where maybe are is this Colts defense most vulnerable? Is it the intermediate and deep parts? Is this going to be a game where you see the Bills have to still kind of dink and dunk and take what the defense gives them? Or do you believe there's going to be down field opportunities for the Bills in this matchup? Yeah, I think down the field, I think the middle of the field are going to be the best areas for the Bills to attack. And You know, I know Rocky Asin, one of their outside corners, is having a better season, kind of putting it together. But, you know, I mean, you're talking about Diggs and Sanders, who are really good route runners that should be able to take advantage of a, a very grabby corner like Rocky Asin. And he's a guy that I think you want to throw at for that dynamic as well is that he will get physical he will tug and you can have you know some opportunities to get penalties called against the Colts which honestly doesn't happen much this year I think they're fourth in the NFL when it comes to least amount of penalties called against them and the Bills have 20 more penalties called against them in one less game so <laughs> that's kind of an X factor in this football game but interesting yeah I'm going right at this secondary I'm working the middle of the field I, I think you know they may have Xavier Rhodes um, they may not. They still like the young player from, from UMass behind him who's got a lot of speed, but I just feel like this is a situation where you trust your receivers to make plays on the football. You trust your ability to anticipate spacing. You challenge the communication of a back seven that has not really spent much time together and see what you can find. And I think that the Bills should have opportunities to really be productive through the air, of course, if the offensive line can hold up. Lockdown Bills podcast host, 
Joe Marino here on the Wester Hotline, and I, and I want to switch sides. And, and I know everyone wants to talk about Spencer Brown being out of the lineup. You still don't have Feliciano back. And, and, and the story is the offensive line to a certain extent. But I, I think maybe an underrated uh, injury or guy who may not be in the lineup, and, and we don't have confirmation of that yet, but Starla Tulele in this matchup, Joe, against one of the best interior offensive lines, maybe just one of the best left guard in football in Quentin Nelson, who's starting to play more like the Q we've seen over the last couple of years coming back from that that foot injury and surgery that he had during training camp. The same one, by the way, that, that Carson Wentz had. But Jonathan Taylor in this matchup, they finally, I think uh, two weeks ago against the Jets was the first time that Jonathan Taylor saw 20 carries in a football game. This is a team that does have that committee approach. Naeem Hines is a nice player, but they're finally treating Jonathan Taylor, and deservedly so, as that workhorse number one running back. How concerned are you with the running defense in this game, especially with uh, Tremaine Edmonds still banged up? We don't know if he's going to play. If he's going to play, he's probably not going to be 100% with that hamstring injury. How much is Jonathan Taylor worrying you in this game plan? Well, he's a tough assignment. I mean, one of the better running backs in the NFL, if not the best, one of the better offensive playmakers in the NFL. And so it's it's not an easy task. And the and the, the Colts do have the offensive line to open the holes. And so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at a situation here where you'd love to have Star, but I don't know that he's going to be available on Sunday. And if that's not the case, you, you kind of have to look back at some of the ingredients last week that they used with, you know, Harrison Phillips taking on a bigger load and then playing F.A. Obata in the A and B gaps quite a bit, and he held his own. And I think you have to really call out those two players and say, hey, need to have you this week. You know, the, the very best version of yourself has to be on display. And so you'd love to have Tremaine. I, I think I have a little bit more optimistic optimism about him playing, but if not, it's, you know, it's A.J. Klein. you got to get downhill. you got to make tackles. And so um, they've, they've been able to kind of – overcome that a couple of times this year already and so this is that next assignment but I think what it goes back to is something that you've heard coach McDermott preach about all year long it's we want to be two-dimensional on offense we want to make other teams one-dimensional so if you can get points early and really try to build a lead and you get the Colts out of that rushing attack and force them to throw the football with a you know a very average Carson Wentz he's shown some vulnerability this year you you really force that offense to lean on Carson Wentz, I think that's your recipe. So be aggressive early, score all the points that you can, and see if you can get that that uh, offense to uh, become one-dimensional like Sean McDermott preaches, it seems like, every week. You know, Joe, I think if you just looked at the stats, you might leave saying, you know, Wentz is playing better than I thought he would this year. I think he's three interceptions, 17 touchdowns, something along those, like 15 touchdowns, three interceptions, something like that. Like, he's having statistically – more like the season that we saw in 2015 than we saw maybe in 2020 last year uh, where he gets benched in Philadelphia and it's sort of the end for him there. Now, I think some of those statistics probably push the push the narrative in one way than maybe it should and like he still has that absolutely terrible untimely turnover um you know like that that left-handed interception he threw in his own end zone for a touchdown like that was one of the worst plays of the year so how what have you noticed about Wentz's game this year that maybe makes you think that this is probably I mean short of the money that they're that they've dedicated towards him like it sort of feels like this might be the answer that the Colts have found if they can pair it with a really strong running game like they have well I I think he's he gives them a reasonable opportunity. Um, you know, he set such a low bar last year that seeing him play just keep his head above water this year has been encouraging. Um, I, I've done a deep dive on Carson Wentz and his film and his metrics this year, and it's it's hard to poke a lot of holes, but it's also hard to find a lot of areas to praise. And I think 
he is just an average quarterback right now. Um, like every quarterback, he struggles with pressure. His completion percentage falls 20%, and his passer rating drops 33.7 points. And so I think, you know, just like every quarterback every week, it's important to get pressure on them, and you have to do it organically. One thing that Carson Wentz has done a good job of this year is beat the blitz. He's got a passer rating of 108.4 when he's blitzed seven touchdowns, no interceptions. And so you've built an offense or defensive line that is deep with rotation. You need to let that shine on Sunday, get home with four, take advantage of Eric Fisher at left tackle, who is definitely still finding his way back from an Achilles injury. And, um, you know, you also have this middle three of this offensive line that's really good in terms of Kelly at center and uh, left guard Quentin Nelson and, of course, They've kind of been rotating at right guard between Chris Reed and Mark Lewinsky. And the reality is I, I don't think that Quentin Nelson has played to the level we've seen in years past because he is working back from injuries. Now, we know that he's very capable, but you're not getting the best Quentin Nelson. And you combine that with an Eric Fisher at left tackle who's been vulnerable. I think Ryan Kelly's been down this yep. year. And so this is a situation where you've got to lean on that defensive line that you've invested a lot in in terms of premium draft capital and you know, free agent dollars, and they need to show up on Sunday and, and make it difficult on Carson Wentz because the metric where he really, really um, has a, a dip when you compare it to you know, normal circumstances is when he's pressured, and so it's a big game for the Bills' pass rush to get home on Sunday. Joe, I, I want to ask you, I got two non-Bills-related questions here for you. The first one I'm going to ask you is about the New England Patriots on Thursday night that played against the Atlanta JV squad. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm, I know that this is sort of just where media and coverage of NFL teams from a national perspective have gone. It's just, you know, what, what will the people on social media talk the most about? But I watched that, that game on Thursday night, and I left thinking... Yeah, I mean, Mac Jones has, I, I think, really been the quarterback that I think a lot of people thought, at least people that didn't buy into the Mac Jones is terrible. Like, Mac Jones had a, maybe not as an extreme of a pre-draft narrative as Josh Allen did, but I think people really wanted to just simply discredit everything that he was because that they didn't believe he was better than, you know, Justin Fields or or Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence. But, like, he has really played very, very well. He's in a great system for his skill set and an offensive coordinator that knows how to use those strengths. He's got weapons. He's got an offensive line. He's got the things that you'd like to see. Yeah. I, I will say this, Joe. I think he's looked better than Baker Mayfield has. So I I don't know where I fall on this Mac, Mac Jones discourse, but I'm certainly nowhere near the this guy looks like Tom Brady discourse that, that's currently happening on like ESPN and stuff. But like, where have you fallen with the Mac Jones season thus far, and, and what do you take from it knowing that the Bills are going to have two shots at him coming up here in a couple weeks? Yeah, super interesting conversation to have. Um, so – Mac Jones, I think, has done nothing that su- should surprise anyone. I think everybody knew that he was a great processor, smart, knows where to go with the football, and you know he's going to keep his head above water. And I think that's what he's done in this Patriots offense. There's that, there hasn't been really dynamic throws. He's, he's just taking what the defense gives him and keeping the offense on schedule. And I wish I could take credit for saying this, but Dan Orlovsky had a great way of putting it. He said that Mac Jones is finding success because he understands and plays within the rules of the play. And that's a really good way to put it. He understands the rules of the play, stays within it, and keeps the offense on schedule. And that's, that's fine. That's, that's good. I mean, there's a lot of teams that would love to have a quarterback that can do that for them. But, you know, when I start to 
really wonder what this guy's made of is when the tougher challenges are coming. And the next four games for New England, it, it really stiffens up, and we're going to find out yeah. a lot about Mac Jones and what he's really, really capable of. I'm reminded, it's funny you mentioned Baker Mayfield. I'm reminded of a conversation that I had with Hugh Jackson uh, this past uh, February. He and I were down in South uh, Florida uh, for the HOA scouting combine, and he was the quarterback's coach there. And so got a chance to speak with him one-on-one, and we talked about the decision that Cleveland made to draft Baker Mayfield number one overall and why they picked him over Josh Allen, who was the other quarterback that they were considering. And he said, Joe, he said, we couldn't, we couldn't wait for Josh Allen to develop. We needed a guy that was going to be closer to their ceiling and um, to come in and stabilize his quarterback situation. We couldn't miss on a quarterback again. And so that led us towards Baker and, you know, other things that they liked about him. But the fact is that he was close to his ceiling, and, and we've seen how that's progressed. I think you're going to see a similar thing here with Mac Jones where he comes in and, you know, he's at his ceiling. There's not a lot of development needed there. He's a pretty you know, kind of what you see is what you see type quarterback, right. and he's going to be that guy. All right, well, what's going to happen when more is required? What are you going to do when, you know, the stakes are higher, the opponents are better, there's more on the line? Do you have the arm talent to slot throws in, in – you know, outside the numbers and down the field, right. do you have the athleticism to, to make things happen when the play design fails and you can't play within the rules of the play? I think that's where I start to have questions about Mac Jones and what the ceiling is here. I think you've seen a perfectly reasonable quarterback that I think he can sustain that level of play. My questions come is when more is required, and I think when you look at their upcoming schedule against Tennessee and a couple against the Bills and you know, I think their other game, which I cannot remember right now, is is on their radar as well as another tough opponent. We're going to find out what he's made of, and you know, I'm interested in seeing how he continues to play as the sample size increases. Like Josh Allen says, there's guys that get figured out, there's guys that figure it out. Where's Where's Mac Jones going to fall in that lexicon? And you know, we'll find out. But he doesn't necessarily have those traits that suggest that he's going to be this quarterback that becomes this enigma to defend that teams can't deal with. So. It's an interesting storyline. I'm anxious to see how it plays out. Man, what an interesting sort of tidbit there um, from Hugh Jackson. And, and I, I guess to, to before I send you off here, Joe, I, I, I got to follow up and ask you sort of, you, you hear that and your thought is, is basically what they're saying is with the number one overall pick, we're, we're, we're not picking the highest ceiling. We're picking the lowest or the highest floor. And I feel like that is such a flawed way to use the number one overall pick. Now, if you're the fifth pick, the sixth pick, and you're a team that you don't believe is going to be in the top ten very often, this is this is sort of your last hurrah, and I think about the Bills in this way when they took Ed Oliver, right? Sort of that exact mindset is, we don't expect to be here very, uh, you know, in the next 10, 15 years again, so let's go get the best possible player we can, a guy with a high ceiling. Um I just I've got to think, especially at the quarterback position, that is such a flawed way. And listen, I think they're they're suffering the consequences of that mindset. No, in a vacuum, Nate, I 100% agree with you. I, I think that you, that's the, the smart way to look at it. But when you apply it to the Cleveland Browns at that point in time in their history, where they have missed on so many quarterbacks, you know, over and over and over again, and you said, look, we could not miss again. We couldn't miss again. We had to get this right, and so. They were comfortable with the remainder of team and what a quarterback like Baker Mayfield could do on that team. And, you know, what's interesting is you have a different GM and a different head coach now in place that's not really responsible for Baker Mayfield being there. And so, you know, kind of the vision for the team is is, is very different where 
Um, you know, I'm anxious to see how it plays out and if they wind up uh, extending him or if they try to, you know, get cute with uh, maybe letting him go and feeling like they have a replacement-level quarterback and that uh, there's a system in place that would allow a cheaper quarterback to come in and, and play and uh, be able to use resources elsewhere on the team to really build it up. So it's going to be interesting, but I think for Cleveland, they just couldn't miss uh, again, and they felt like Baker Mayfield had the right mental makeup, right? Like, there is that, that stigma, that dynamic of, okay, it's Cleveland. Like, who's going to come in here and embrace this? And I think you could point to Baker Mayfield and understand that he's that type of guy that will, and he has done that. The questions really come is, all right, well, what's this guy's feeling on the field? Which is, um, at the time, based on who made the decision, something that they were comfortable with in Cleveland. Um, I, if if Cleveland does decide to move on from Baker Mayfield, which I I think they're in like maybe the toughest spot of any team in the NFL with their quarterback because they're not quite in like he's reminds me of just quarterback that's smack dab in the middle of replacement level yeah. like. Do you replace him and move on? Do you give, put him, give him a bridge contract? Do you just let him play out his fifth-year option? All in this window of really strong players that they have, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, that, by the way, aren't playing up to par on the defensive side of the ball. But, like, Joe, if let's say Cleveland decides to move on from Baker Mayfield. Is that, is that, that's not, like, it for Baker, right? Like, he ends up catching on somewhere, right? Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, we, we, I don't want to, like, sit here and be a Baker Mayfield apologist, but, I mean, come on. Like, this is a tough situation. Like, first of all, he doesn't have a left shoulder right now. That's tough to deal yeah, it with, is. right? We, it we is. saw Josh Allen with a non-throwing shoulder injury that he played through, uh, you know, in the, in the Raiders game, and you saw that against Kansas City and Tennessee the last year. So that's first and foremost. Like, secondly, what what meaningful offensive weapon does he have in terms of throwing the football to? He doesn't have any. All right, so let's let's also be mindful of that. And then they have this great offensive line, but it's friggin' banged up right now. They're yeah. missing they're missing guys every week, and so like. You know, if we saw Baker Mayfield be a pretty good quarterback last year, and they won a playoff game, and they really, you know, gave the Chiefs all they can handle in the playoffs. So, you know, Baker Mayfield's not as bad as we're seeing this year. We got to keep in mind some of the context here, and you know, I, he'll certainly play out his fifth-year, uh, you know, option, and I think he'll be a starting quarterback at least for, you know, uh, somewhere in the NFL. I mean, we're talking about like this past year, Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, Jared Goff is starting. Ryan Fitzpatrick, yeah. Andrew, Andy Dalton. Like, you don't think there's going to be a spot for Baker Mayfield for a number of years to come? There, there will be. We don't have 32 uh, good enough starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Baker's going to have his opportunities. All right, brother. Enjoy your uh, your football Saturday today and obviously the game tomorrow. Appreciate you as always. Love the insight. Well, uh, what do you got on, on tap? Uh, any any uh, fun stuff, articles, uh, draft network stuff you got coming up that you want to share? Well, I, you know, we're, we're entering scouting reports season. Correct. So actually, I do have a, my my next mock draft is next Sunday, so you have that to look forward to. And then, of course, uh, daily podcast, Locked On Bills. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you as always. All right, thanks, Nate. Joe Marino there of Locked On Bills, and of course, the Draft Network sounds like he's got some uh, some off season draft stuff. I know Bills fans aren't in draft. Uh draft mindset yet but it's uh it's it's quickly approaching as we get into the holiday season tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone news in order to secure convictions in a court of law it is essential that we conclusively sports that clock at four Doncic. the step back three you bet music you set my world on fire yes, and even podcasts whatever you love hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. 
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.